Hi and welcome back to In Her Lens. I'm your host Nadine Rumer and in this series I chat with today's women filmmakers. Thank you for bearing with me through the short break and I am thrilled to be back this week with Farida Sahran. Farida is an Egyptian writer and director based in Brooklyn, New York. Her short film Youth premiered at South by Southwest in 2019 and received an Oscar qualifying award at the Palm Springs International Short Fest. Youth also won the IFP Student Showcase at the 2019 Gotham Awards, featuring on JetBlue's in-flight entertainment system and currently streaming digitally with Focus Features. In this episode, Farida and I discuss the international production of Youth. We talk about her learnings from film school and setting boundaries around your own and other people's expectations, and we talk about the current realities of Arab representation in film and television. I'm so happy to finally share this conversation with you. It wouldn't be 2020 without some hiccups, so we got off to a bumpy start with Zoom quitting on us. But without further ado, here is Farida on In Her Lens. For the first 20 minutes. Oh, so Yeah, the the whole time we were talking about nothing. (laughs) It was perfect. It's so funny. (laughs) always happens but this actually works so we don't we don't necessarily have to look at each other of course you can still hear me fine right yeah okay let's just do it like this then okay so to do, do, do let's get back to the most recent film that you watched we talked a bit about love island and that being the <laughs> way that we process our current emotions but um yes anything else uh you were talking about this new animation on netflix yeah, well, it's. I don't think it's super new. I think Netflix maybe released it like a, earlier in the year, but I think it had premiered at Cannes last year or the year before. Um, but it's called I Lost My Body, um, and it's an animated feature. And it's just, it's it's so great. It's the first, like, I think at least 15, 20, maybe 30 minutes of the film, you're just following, like, a disembodied hand. I'd never been so emotionally invested in, like, a disembodied hand before (laughs) (laughs) and it's just it's it's such a subtle and like really emotional story and it's just very economic and it's filmmaking and you know it just it's it's hard to also tackle existential questions in a way that's not like melodramatic and it does exactly that and so that has been like one of my favorite films that I've seen recently um And just, again, because I feel like animation can be so amazing and evocative and you don't see a ton of, like, adult animation. I don't mean adult as in, like, <laughs> pornography, <laughs> but, you know, like, animation films that are not for children. Um, mm-hmm. We don't see a ton of that, I feel. Yeah. And there should definitely be more because there's a ton of, like, animated shorts that you see at festivals that are amazing. Right. They they are really quite inspiring. And I, I, there's something about the forum, and I, I'm not very well versed on animation, and it's actually something that I am very interested in. Um, Mm -hmm. that does get rid of some of the complications with storytelling and it's a very unique form where so many stories on so many hyper-realistic or surrealistic fronts can be explored. It's really fun. Like there, there's no rules. It feels like. Yeah, exactly. A lot of incredible storytelling 
and a lot of storytelling that isn't necessarily found in like primetime TV or on in bo- big box office is actually being done in animation. Yeah, no, it's really cool. It's just, I mean, you couldn't tell a story about a hand <laughs> in, yeah, anywhere in a live else. action film. I mean, there's, I guess, like the campy version of it. That's like the sort of like Adam's fa- family version, but that's, that's a whole other thing. Um, right, right. Yeah, I think it unlocks a lot of really cool stuff. So yeah, I really love that film. Let's talk a bit about you and your childhood and how you grew up and what your parents did, just so we can get a little bit of insight into, yeah, the person and subsequent artist that you are. <laughs> um, okay, so I was born in Egypt um, to Egyptian parents. They uh, had actually met in like art school uh, in college. Oh, wow. Uh, and my dad was studying architecture. My mom was doing, um, I guess, illustration is what her major was. So yeah, there's there's always been sort of creativity sort of in our house growing up. My mom sort of switched, she initially had started doing like right out of graduation and when we were kids, she was doing like book illustrations. And so there was always like something interesting happening that whether it was painting or she had a phase where there was like some sort of fashion design freelance work that she was doing and I learned to sew at the time <laughs> and oh, wow. I used to like make money off of it also she'd be like here like you can you know design this and sew it together and you'll get 20 pounds for it which was nothing <laughs> at the time but it was great I had my own money and so there were always like art projects and stuff like that um growing up which was really cool because I was interested right off the bat um uh, there was a phase where I used to make my own clothes they never fit quite right <laughs> <laughs> but I was very proud but that's really cool. So you, from really young age, were creating things with your hands. Yeah, yeah. Because it was, for a long time, like when we were younger, my mom had stayed at home. And so whenever she was working, it was mostly freelance and from home. Mm-hmm. And so it was like around us. My brother was, I think, less interested in that, but I was definitely into it. He's now an engineer. Yeah. Oh, okay. Probably <laughs> more stable than me. So <laughs> <laughs> we eventually moved to Qatar. Um which is a little tiny country uh, in the Gulf, in the Arabian Gulf or the Persian Gulf, whatever you want to call it. And yeah, that was when I was like, uh, it was right after I got my period. (laughs) (laughs) You're becoming a woman and you're moving into a new space. (laughs) Yeah, basically. Um, But anyway, yeah, so we moved there around, I was like 12 maybe. Um, Did you graduate high school there? Yeah, so I graduated high school there. And then um, for college, I knew I wanted to also do something creative, but I was sort of, I wasn't sure yet what that, what I really wanted that to be. I had applied to design programs and then I applied to a communication program, which was like a very vague major, honestly. But that was, I think, perfect for 18 year old me because I'm like, I have no idea what anything means. It seems like I can do creative things here, but also maybe get a job when I graduate. And they basically had, it was a program that was sort of a combination of film, TV, theater, and sort of like communication studies and liberal artsy things. I ended up studying communication. Um, and then I, I mean, the my undergrad program was sort of flexible enough with like electives and stuff. So I ended up taking pretty much all my electives in film and theater. Mm-hmm. And there's sort of a class in the freshman year where you have to like make your, like make a film. And so that was the first time I ever made a film and it was terrible. I actually put together this little film festival type thing with a friend 
at NYU grad film. What, what did we call it? It was the um, Humble Beginnings Film Festival is what we called it. And we, we had this idea of like, we should screen all of our first films and just like look yes. at how far we've come and also like all the common mistakes we made and stuff. And it was really fun because like a lot of people submitted and it's funny to watch because everyone sort of makes the same mistakes when they start out. Over the top drug use always. <laughs> <laughs> um, like teenagers playing adults, like wearing suits and going to offices and stuff. Melodramatic. This is so funny because this is the, you're describing like my first film that I had to make in like a film class. And there was definitely drug use. The overdose, maybe. It's just ridiculous stuff that I'm looking back now. I'm like, what? Like, where did this like 18, 19 year old Nadine yeah. come up with these ideas? I mean, it's funny because I think we just kind of make what we consume. We're like, we, we see this in movies. Yeah. So this is what movies are. There's, you know, like this scene where someone like discovers something tragic and then like puts their hands to their head and then falls against the wall and starts to cry. So it's good. just all of that. But it was like the kind drama. of drama. Yeah, it was kind of amazing, though, to see because you're just like, like it's embarrassing for you in hindsight, but you're like, everyone makes the same mistakes. Yeah, and everyone needs to get through that initial phase. Like, I feel like it's the same with writing or that the first beginning stages of something, you're processing like the initial stuff that's under the surface, like under your skin. Yeah. And it comes out, you know, just with fire. Mm -hmm. And it's actually really good. I think it's, you know, the ambition that you have at that age and the and the belief in your work and your storytelling, it is all really necessary to go through those, those, those kind of rougher, uh, it's like teenagehood, you know? Yeah, no, it's funny because I think we're just sort of impatient, especially, I sound like an old person when I say this, but like in the age of Instagram, where like <laughs> people are constantly like posting the work that they're making, it makes it seem like it's so fast and easy to make stuff, but it, it just yeah. isn't. That's not like realistically how the creative process works. And it takes like, even if you're mm -hmm. making a short, like it's going to take a year for you to like write the script and go shoot it and then edit it and for it to be actually ready to be shown to the world. And yeah. And then after that, I mean, the festival circuit and yeah. trying to like get it somewhere and get it seen in, in Instagram and just social media. Um, and I guess capitalism and all of those things like production is and being productive yeah. is of such value. And we forget that, you know, the magic and also just the work takes time. Yeah. And it just won't, won't be good if you rush it. It's, it's, and then mm -hmm. it just, you know, it produces a bunch of people who are way too hard on themselves and then sort of feel like they want to give up if it's, too difficult or if they don't succeed fast enough and it's just like none of it is ever fast you just it's just that we only see things wet once people get to that successful phase and then right, it just right. seems easy but you don't know like all the time and work that has gone into you know mm -hmm. this person this person's career um or their journey in general that got got them to this point so yeah we just i mean i think with the pandemic, especially, like I've learned to be a little more, a little more patient with myself and it's been, it's mm -hmm. been really good, but it can really get to you. Even, even if you logically know that this is like the process takes time and you need to put the time and the effort into it and, you know, just, just stick it out. Um, but yeah, this, this culture of productivity. <laughs> it stifles the creative process, you know? Yeah. Um, I really do believe in, 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 in timing and also uh, patience and, and, and waiting and, and, and cocooning on an idea. Fair tip for listeners. Take time with your work. It's okay.
you don't have to put it out between now and tomorrow yeah and also if you don't succeed right away like it, that's normal it, it doesn't happen that way you just need to be patient and keep doing the work until and also i mean su success is like a whole other subjective thing that like right you know right but i think that's great that you guys did that, that, that film <laughs> festival of humble beginnings <laughs> It's a really good reminder and necessary. Yeah, it was. It was because I think also in film school, you get really caught up in like, oh, this person got into festival, like this festival and I didn't. And, you know, this person's mm -hmm. succeed succeeding faster than I am. And there's a lot of this, like, you know, comparing yourself to other people. And it doesn't really mean anything because like a part of it is like with festivals, like if you get rejected, I mean, first of all, even the people who do get into festivals, like I, I got into maybe like what? five six festivals mm -hmm. and got rejected from like 35 and so like but people obviously like you know we'll see the thing that i mean i'm guilty of this i'll post my successes onto instagram and not my failures uh but i right. think then that like people get like a warped view of what the story is the full story is but yeah mm -hmm. so we all fall into this thing of like comparing ourselves to other people and we sometimes take ourselves way too seriously and it's just like ultimately like we're just all trying to do the thing and we all sort of yeah, have made the same mistakes and we're just every process is personal right it, it, it what happened what happened for you and how how you're uh, building your career doesn't work for how i have to build my career or how other people want to and should you know it and as an actor i realized this as well as i would look at oh this person okay i love this person's work i really want to like emulate similarly or, or like something that they're doing and um i'm gonna uh, google like where they got where they got and all of those things and then i'm like oh they met a person at an audition who three years later cast them in a short that got seen at this festival mm -hmm. by this producer who put them in this film that now they have an oscar yeah. i can't do that yeah <laughs> I can't be like oh i'm gonna go do that exact track there isn't an exact track easy to forget that like there is no real path you have to make your path and that makes it a lot more taxing like emotionally as well it is and i mean it's funny because i think in film school they do try to tell us that and we don't believe them we're like we want an answer that's <laughs> not good enough yeah because, there must be a reason <laughs> because, what's the secret yeah and because also when you're in grad school like you're already like at least in your like mid-20s to mid-30s or whatever and you're just like i need to start you know like living real life now and making money and stuff and so mm -hmm. when people are like oh yeah you may or may not have a career it's a pretty scary thing to hear um but, yeah but it's also true and it's like that's sort of the risk that we take doing this Congratulations are in order for you because you graduated from NYU film graduate program yesterday. Yes, yes. <laughs> How would you define the last four years of film school? Uh, it's it's hard. I mean, I just had to write a self critique in order to graduate. So um, mm. I've had to think about this a little bit. And it's, it's strange. I mean, because it's been four years of film school, but also four years of like me living in a whole new city. New York is already like overwhelming in and of itself. And so like, there's, there's been a lot of changes. Um, so it's, it's been life changing, <laughs> but also, I mean, it's, it's good. There's, I've, I've learned a lot about myself and about sort of how things work here versus where I grew up. And I think I definitely learned, one of the things I learned is I, I've learned to ask for things in a more clear and direct way. Mm -hmm. Um, because I feel like that's sort of not something, not an idea that like I necessarily grew up with, or it's not, I think in Arab culture, 
there's less of that aggressive like asking for things there's usually like it's more focused on like relationship building and sort of having tea with people until you become business partners for example <laughs> <laughs> but here it's like there's especially in New York I think there's the sense of competition and like everyone's out there hustling and being productive whatever and so you sort of have to be a little more aggressive with things if you want them and you have to like put yourself out there and it's it's not even about like who's the best it's about who's out there up in people's faces asking for things yeah that's very true that's very <laughs> true. I, I i think that's very true about new york because it, it, i have this like i live lived there now five years and that idea too it's like a sunday you've worked the whole week and yet you know in the back of your mind somebody else is still working and so it kind of li lives in your bones to to hustle to show up to like get to know people to network and then also produce stuff and if you're not doing that and then you feel like you're not yeah you're not in it you're not part of the game mm -hmm. even if you 100% are i've gotten more comfortable with that for sure and i think it's also mm -hmm part of you start out film school and you're sort of very unsure of yourself and you know you're supposed to be there to try and find your voice whatever that means <laughs> that's yeah. what everyone tells you you're there for so you're like okay I'm here to find my voice it's it's scary because at the beginning all you want is validation um mm -hmm. and you just have to be comfortable with sharing work that is vulnerable and quite possibly shit and exposing yourself to the critique that comes with that from several different people for like who are all from several different backgrounds and you just have to get used to that idea and the, the idea of I think actually one of the main things I learned honestly is not being too precious about my work uh, because mm -hmm. I think initially and this is I think something that also a lot of people say um is like oh write something that's personal and i think like early on we we take that maybe a little too literally we're like okay i'm gonna write about the time that this terrible thing happened to me or like it, it does become really personal to a point where like whenever anyone gives you negative feedback it feels like a personal attack it, i think eventually like the whole idea of not being too precious about your work yes, it comes from a personal place because it comes from you. I mean, that's bound to happen anyway. And you put it out there and then it's just, it's, it's a piece of work at the end of the day. It's not you. <laughs> we hold our careers as our identities yeah. and it becomes very intertwined with the kind of person you are because you're putting yourself on the line, whether it's out in auditions and like physically on screen or on, on the stage or with writing and storytelling and the images that you choose and the people you choose to work with and how you edit it and the everything mm -hmm. when it comes to the film that it becomes it's, it's a little it's a part of you so yeah like you said when you get a rejection or when someone doesn't like it or a critique it's so easy to forget that like you you are not that you yeah. are separate from that it's a hard it's a hard thing to reckon with and especially if you're a young adult yeah, and then there's also like them at play, like because you're you and you're mm -hmm. putting part of you out there, but they might not be like, they might be looking for something else or they might not connect to the same sort of thing that you're connecting with. And that's fine because like, right. you know, when you get rejected from a festival, it's maybe like three people decided that they don't like the film or it's not even that they don't like the film. There could be like, you know, your film could be very similar to another film and they're mm -hmm. like, you know, this one makes more sense for a program than that one. But then 
on the other end, you get a rejection email and you're like, oh my God, I'm a terrible person. I will never succeed. Like I'm worth nothing. And that's just not super productive. I think a lot of people, when they don't get into the big festivals or whatever, sort of give up and feel discouraged. There's also like an audience online, which is a much bigger audience than like the few festival programmers that didn't think your film fit their festival or their program. I think that's actually a very important element. And it's something I realized with my last film where it was definitely great to to screen it in a theater and, you know, have people like listen to people react to it in a theater. That was like an, a, a great experience. And I think it's valuable in general, obviously, for filmmakers. But then also mm -hmm. once you put it out there like on Vimeo, for example, like there are so many more people who are watching it than the amount of people you could fit into one theater at one time. First of all, like a wider range of people of different ages and from different countries and whatever. And so you might find way more people who really connect with it than you might in like a festival where there's a certain, you know, mm -hmm. kind of audience there only. And they might not even be the the audience that you were thinking of when you made the film. With festivals, I mean, it's because they're curated, um, they are sort of a marker of success in a way in this industry for people. Um, mm -hmm. And sometimes it's a little bit lazy, honestly, because I think like I've seen some great films. Like I have friends who have made like amazing films who didn't necessarily get into certain festivals. And it doesn't mean anything about the quality of the film. It's just maybe like, again, like the fact that like there was this, another film that was similar and they wouldn't have programmed two films that were too similar. Um, but then like, I think sometimes people within the industry are like, oh, well, this person's worth nothing if, you know, they didn't check these boxes and therefore like they might not get access to certain opportunities that other people might get who have gotten into certain festivals. I do want to talk about your second year film, Youth, which is the first piece of work that I saw of yours. And it's what made me want to get to know you. And I actually still frequently find myself thinking about it because of a variety of reasons that we'll delve into. But creating Youth, how did you find the story and what prompted you to want to tell it? Like you said, it was my second year film. Um, so that was part of my um, grad school program. Um, and so I had, to, I had to make a film. <laughs> that was the main reason. Just like this, basically the second year of the program, uh, we spend the entire year just focused on one film. And so um, the first semester you're sort of quickly writing and then going into pre-production. And then we all have like a three month production period where you're supposed to shoot your own film and then also crew on other films. And then you come back the next semester and you're editing. Um, and so I had, um, I had actually spent the whole summer before the second year working on the script and I walk into class the first day and I was the first person to share my script that semester and my professor at the time was like yeah this isn't good write something else and I'm like oh my god I've already spent all summer writing this and I've been talking <laughs> to producers and I've started pre-production and this is so scary and I have to literally, I was like one of the, I had like one of the earlier slots too. So I was shooting in like two months, but I did not cry. Even though it's very, <laughs> we, we cried a lot in film school actually in directing classes and writing classes and acting classes. Um, and so I didn't cry and I was like, you know what, whatever. I'm gonna try writing something new. 
and mm-hmm. um, I sort of had to get over it really quickly because there just wasn't any time. And I'm like, okay, if we're gonna kill that one um, and write a new one, we just I just have to move fast. Uh, and so I basically wrote this like in a month, maybe. Wow. Yeah, I don't even remember, honestly. I don't even remember the writing process for this at all because we were doing pre-production at the, at the time because we were going to shoot in Egypt and I had never shot anything in Egypt ever before. I hadn't lived in Egypt in like thir- 13 years at the time. Um, I didn't really have the connections. And so we were basically just trying to like find producers, find crew and doing all the pre-production remotely. Once I showed up there, um, I had one of my good friends that I had known from living in Qatar, her name is Ines. She was basically like my rock and my savior throughout that whole process. I, I was doing this, th- this is what I'm talking about when I mean like I started asking for things where I literally was just like Googling like, you know, Egyptian films that had screened at festivals recently and like looking up the people who worked on them on IMDb and then like reaching out to those people on Facebook. Um, so just like harassing people on social media is, was my strategy. So what I really loved about youth and why I want to like delve into how you got to the story of it, it's a very realistic depiction and reflection of what it's like to exist as a woman in the world. And it comes from everything from like taking a taxi home late at night and like waiting for the taxi outside and like having crushes and going to a party and like, oh, the crush is getting really close to me and Mm -hmm. fear that's in that moment. And then the relationships you have with your family and like tender moments of like getting home after being in, you know, after having a night out. And it's all very calm, but it's yeah. very real. Yeah. And I that's what really struck me. And that's why I also still really think about the film. So I'm wondering where, if this was something that you were thinking about for a while, and how did you get to that? So I think it was a combination of different things. So the first thing was I, I really did want to shoot something in Egypt regardless. Um, and I had always felt like, and like me in Egypt in general, I had been sheltered from a lot, a lot of experiences. And so it sort of affected the way I moved around the city and that I experienced the city. And it, it always came with this like air of paranoia in a sense. So it, it came from partially that feeling, but also having never really seen coming of age films that were set in Egypt specifically, or or films that even were about that sort of stage in life. It's just a phase in your life where you know that you're kind of desiring other people and you're desirable to others. Yeah. And how do you navigate that? And then also not realizing like the consequences that sort of come with that thing that's like thrown at you where you're just like, oh, like suddenly now I'm being seen as a woman and that means something in this world even though mm-hmm. like in my head it's this very simple thing of like oh this this guy is cute and i want to spend more time with him but then you suddenly realize that like the world is much more complicated and it comes with all this baggage and you know right um so i i always thought that was an interesting moment in general and just then also within the context of of egypt and even the arab world in general like i hadn't seen a ton of content like that and I mean, for me, honestly, like when I want to make something, I'm like, I just want to make something I haven't personally seen. Um, yeah. Not that like, I mean, thematically, this is very universal. Like we've all seen this sort of thing. But I think like it is important to sort of have my version of that or like, you know, our version of that, like in mm-hmm. in in Egypt or in 
you know, the Arab world or whatever, because it just, I almost had this feeling for like a long time growing up, I think that like a lot of these experiences are like exclusively like Western because like that's sort of the messaging we got. But then I'm like, but mm -hmm. we're going through these experiences too. And all of my friends and I are going through these same experiences. And so mm -hmm. like, why isn't it out there? And why are we made to feel abnormal about it? And then even even when when a lot of people here saw the film, they were just like, or or when they read the script they're like why does this need to be shot in Egypt this could be shot in New York and I'm like yeah but like why is New York the default like we have universal experiences too <laughs> yeah and 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 I think yeah it's it that's the thing that I also just love about about your storytelling is it's so universal but also where it is and the people you see and the vibe you get from the place that you're shooting in affects the film yes it could have been made just based like if if you had taken bare bones script, it could have been made anywhere. Yeah. But the specific atmosphere of Cairo is so integral to the story that you're telling. Yeah, yeah. And I think like a lot of that specificity also came from like my experience of the city because like, yeah, I'm from there, but I, I like grew up away from there and that sort of has always had an impact on how I've navigated the city because I've always been way more cautious and and you know like I know that people can sometimes tell that I don't live there and so like I'm always way more alert and like feel a lot less comfortable with how I'm, I'm I am in the space and so like I think that was part of also the character's experience. I think maybe that's also why I relate to this movie because I also, I mean, I, I grew up, you know, moving around a lot and I, I lived in the Middle East for a long time. I also now, now I'm back in Holland and this is officially, or the Netherlands, I should say, where I'm from. It's where my passport's from. It's where my parents are from. And yet I feel like I'm walking around with a neon sign on my head that's like, I don't know how it works. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm just thinking specifically of the moment where she's waiting for the taxi in the the kiosk guy behind her is like, oh, do you want some water or something? Yeah. That just like small interaction. It's like, also, how do I act? Like, how do I be? Yeah. And it's very nuanced. So how much of that was in the script? And because it's not a very dialogue heavy film. Uh, yeah, no, honestly, the, the final film is nothing like the original script. <laughs> I really enjoy writing in general. Um, but this time I just didn't have the time to like, it just was, you know, logistically, a, a nightmare and so the thing that has stayed most intact is the car scene which is kind of like the central scene in in the script um between yeah. like the 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 main character and like the the love interest or the romantic interest but everything else honestly came out of sitting down with the actors and rehearsing certain things and then also a lot happened in post-production honestly the shoot was very difficult. Obviously, a lot of stuff. I mean, this always happens. Like, you never get exactly what you want on set. Thank God for Leah, my producer, because she's just like, she was like really brutal. She's like, do you really need, let's just cut all of this. Um, and so we just started cutting and cutting and cutting and just like decluttering, basically. And then eventually I was just like, okay, now we have like the sort of the skeleton of it. Like, we know the arc. One of my teachers, actually, I sat down with him and I had cut like the first two scenes of the film and he's and I was like I feel like something's missing like the beginning isn't right and he's like why don't you just write a scene and I'm like I can do that he's like yeah he's like just record the audio and it could even play all over black or whatever and I'm like okay I'm like I'm not gonna have it play over black but 
I could do anything and post. And that was kind of like amazing, like to, to have permission to do whatever the hell I wanted. And so then I ended up, I think I wrote like at least three scenes in post-production. The, the only scene that I, I reshot was, well, not reshot. Um, the first scene of the film like never existed in the script was, was never a thing, but I sort of felt like I needed this sort of introductory thing with her friend and like setting the scene. Yeah, I think it definitely also made me like a better director um, because I, I had to, my writer self didn't get to do as much of the writing work. And then like the director had to step in and really like build this story in a way that made sense, even though there wasn't like a solid document that was guiding me. Right. Also just having like good collaborators by your side and people who are going to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. What are things that you take into account building your team? Um my relationship with them i know that sounds like it's not like a real answer but you know people who are going to be flexible who who care people who care about the project honestly because like if like someone's like i never want someone to do something for me just as a favor or as a friend or like just because of that i'm like i'd rather you actually care about what's going on because Mm -hmm. then also like you know, if anything goes wrong and then starts to become personal, right? that can get messy. But I think in general, yeah, people who are like on board with what you're doing. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like it just takes time to really figure out the people you click with in general in that way. I just want to talk a bit about the process of producing and then shooting internationally. Yeah. Because you were living in New York, you were writing in New York, you were studying in New York, and then you go make a film somewhere else. And what is that process like? So I was there two weeks earlier on my own with Ines who already lived in Egypt and Leah was sort of like also helping with pre-production remotely although she was also like very pregnant and actually gave birth on the last day of <laughs> oh our shoot gosh. and so yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> there was also only so much she could do from there so that was that was sort of the team and then there there were some great people that we found there too Egypt is very different in terms of like how it works with shoots and just production in general, there's a, Egypt has a system, like the, the film industry in Egypt is almost just as old as the system in, in, in the US as Hollywood. And so like things work a certain way and you can't just sort of like walk in and be like, well, I want to make my film this way because this is what I do. Um, right. Especially when you're like a nobody. <laughs> and so it was really tricky because we're used to making things in a certain way and it was just like very different. And we hadn't really mm-hmm. taken a taking that into account because, um, you know, I was naive and even little things like, for example, in the U.S., like we're used to, like you have your production insurance and then you go like to a rental house, rent out your equipment that you want and you and your friends or like you and your crew like operate that stuff. And, um, you know, if you need a permit, you apply to the mayor's office and they get back to you in five to seven business days and like that sort of thing. Um, in Egypt, it's it's a lot more complicated because there's also, I think, less of a culture of like sort of smaller, like short filmmaking. Um, there's either the like really sort of like tiny, like no budget scenario where you have like a DSLR and like five friends in your apartment mm-hmm. or it's like <laughs> a sort of really massive production with like a, you know, at least at least a 50 person crew or whatever that was very different because in Egypt for example um like if you're renting equipment so lighting let's say you you rent like it's usually like a a gaffer who will show up with like a truck and his crew and 
you know, there's like a standard amount of people that comes with, with the equipment and they're the ones operating it. And so in a sense, it's nice because we don't personally have to worry about like transporting and storing equipment. Uh, right. But also then you end up with like eight people on lights when normally you're used to having like three to four people on a production this small maximum. And so then you're just like, oh crap, we're in this tiny apartment and we have a massive crew right now and this is really difficult. How much of that could you organize remotely and how much really came down to you being in Egypt? I really had to be there, honestly. Like nothing actually started happening until I got there and I was talking to people in person. And because also at the end of the day, there's like a, an eight hour time difference between New York and Egypt and and right. things are moving at a different pace. It was, and it's also hard to like meet people over the phone and like try to Definitely. find out what they're about. And like, it's like, that wasn't really clear until I actually got there and was having in-person conversations with people. Yeah, it was, it was really tough. I mean, <laughs> I would not recommend necessarily doing it on that timeline. Um, I would recommend spending a lot more time in the country you're shooting in beforehand. So youth was screened at a variety of festivals, including South by, which is where I met you, Palm Springs, Holly Shorts. We were supposed to screen at a festival in Luxor in Egypt, but that COVID happened right when that was happening. So I don't know if the screening actually ever happened. <laughs> how was the how was the feedback in the process coming in with a with a film that was shot in Egypt? And how how did that go for you? Um, it was generally good. I mean, like obviously it depends on the audience and and I think most people connected to it in the way that I had hoped thankfully or at least the people who came up to me and talked to me about it um I mean I'm sure there are lots of people who are like ah, whatever (laughs) but um there was a lot of positive feedback uh and then then there's also like again depending on the audience people will sometimes apply like their own lens onto things and Mm -hmm. sometimes just see what they want to see and so I've also gotten some there's a moment where spoiler alert (laughs) we're talking around the film but you can actually watch it if you would like on Vimeo but I will link everything in the show notes and so I mean there's a moment where she sort of like um it's him (laughs) it sounds more dramatic but anyway but then she like apologizes later on um and then I remember there was like this person who had watched it and he was like an older white man and he was like oh it's so interesting that she apologizes in that moment it tells us a lot about her culture and I'm like why like why did you choose that moment to be the indicator of her culture like at the end of the day like no matter what you do I think people like certain people will project certain things onto your work and that doesn't necessarily mean anything it just means that they have a specific filter or lens that they're seeing things through how do you function as a filmmaker in protecting your boundaries when it comes to getting comments like that I mean I'll just be clear and and honest and I'll be like I don't see it as necessarily part of the culture it's 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 this is a universal thing and I've you know I've I have a lot of friends from lots of different backgrounds and cultures and you know, we've all been through things like this and this isn't, you mm-hmm. know, and necessarily an indicator of that. But I mean, I've also had people be like, oh, this is shot in Egypt, but we don't see enough of Egypt. And like, okay, I'm sorry, next time I'll shoot more pyramids. But like, this is also Egypt. Like, I know it doesn't meet your expectation of what Egypt is, but this is very much also Egypt. And so 
it's mm-hmm. like there's always that but like at the end of the day whatever there's always going to be that because you know and also I mean it's not even like a I don't even know it's an, if it's an opinion it's just sort of what they've always seen or what they're used to seeing and so they've and it's never been challenged necessarily and so it just is what it is yeah. but and you can you know say something to them but you know whether or not that's going to change their worldview I don't know but also it doesn't matter because I think like once like someone sees it and we had a screening right before the pandemic happened um, because we were fundraising for our next film. And so I put together like a sort of a short film screening. Um, My film, like Youth, was one of the films that we screened. And it was great because like it was a lot of sort of Arab creatives um, living in New York who showed up. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of people with common interests and backgrounds and stuff this one woman came up to me and she's like, oh my God, like I'd never seen anything like this before. Like, I wish I'd seen something like this when I was like a teenager. You know, I'm excited that there's stuff out there like this. And I'm like, that's exactly sort of what I wanted to do. And so then it really doesn't matter when, you know, some old white guy is just like, show me more pyramids. You're like, whatever, (laughs) it's not necessarily for you anyway. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. If you take a JetBlue flight, you can watch Youth. Well, actually, only until October 1st, actually. So in the past, because this episode (laughs) is going to come out a little bit later, but your film was screened on or is currently being screened and it will end October 1st on a JetBlue flight. So you could watch Youth, Mm -hmm. a short film on a plane, which I think is so cool. So talk a little bit about how the heck you got this this, uh, this distribution. Yeah, so this is another one of those things that was like, you feel like it's kind of just pure luck <laughs> where we had already been we had screened at a bunch of festivals I think we had already also premiered on Vimeo at this point but then um like IFP and JetBlue and Focus Features were doing this like award thing or competition thing for like grad film students in New York I think and then our film was basically nominated to be part of that and it, it just happened really quickly I don't even remember all the details but they're just like oh your, your film has been selected to be a part of this and like the award will be this if if you know it it wins the or gets selected and so basically our film was one of the films to get selected for that and yeah so part of the deal was to get a distribution deal thing with JetBlue for it to screen for six months and then it's supposed to actually screen on Focus Features um, streaming platform I think for another six months after that which I think that's what's starting on October 1st. It was just one of those things where you're like I didn't even know this existed but this is cool and once you're on the radar sort of um, and this is what's helpful about like bigger film festivals it's like people will think of you when certain things come up that make sense and so you know Mm -hmm. things do start to happen which is nice by the time we had done a few festivals we kind of wanted to release the film online sooner rather than later partially because we wanted to start fundraising for our next film and we felt like it made sense to have our previous work out there for people to see if if they were thinking about giving us money for another project. Um, So we were trying to sort of leverage that a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, But also because we're just like, you know what, like we got what we felt like we wanted out of the festival circuit. And, and I don't think 
you necessarily need to do every single festival or, you know, I feel like we had checked the boxes we wanted to check. I think people don't put enough emphasis on like meeting other filmmakers who are in the same stage as you. Like, I think everyone's like, oh, you should go meet like the famous people or the people who can help you move up, like people on the top or whatever. Honestly, like sometimes that's not super useful at the time because like, Mm -hmm. you know, you're there with a short, for example, you might not have like a feature ready or anything and so like meeting someone who's like a feature producer is not necessarily the most useful thing for you at the time like when you're meeting people who are like either in your same stage or just like a step ahead where like maybe you 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 know you just made your last short and you meet someone who's just making their first feature or something like that's also really helpful yeah. you're sort of exchanging information that you know normally is I feel like it's there's not a lot of transparency in general in the industry and so like when you're just getting sort of um getting to hear different people's experiences is really helpful. I think that that's such a an, an important thing also about just filmmaking and creative you know entrepreneurship and all of these things is that you need each other and you need people. Yeah, I mean, and like you said, transparency, I think is really important, especially especially as women and when it comes to like contract and pay and yeah how you're being treated. It's very, very valuable. And that's also why we're talking, you know, it's to have open conversation about all of these things and like, Hey, this is something that I experienced. And you know, how are you going yeah. through this? Or is this normal or Hey, watch out. This is not yeah, normal. Exactly. Um, and we've historically just been very stifled to do mm-hmm. that. Um, I think it also comes out of like, there can only be one yeah. winner. Mentality. No, 100%. I want to shift gears a bit and I want to talk about Arab representation and especially Arab women representation in film and TV today. Mm -hmm. Um, I do want to note before we talk about this, that although the conversation and the focus on representation is a shared experience for Arab filmmakers, that each filmmaker approaches this with their own, you know, cultural, political and personal experiences. And there is real jeopardy and generalization. You're actively doing work of undoing stereotypical representations of Arab and Muslim communities in cinema just by your film Youth and your upcoming musical, which we'll talk about later. And in cinema and in Hollywood and then, you know, consecutively beyond that, because we start emulating what we see um, as human beings. Um, And it often feels like filmmakers are, and this might be a strong word, but forced to keep thematically close to the Western narratives of the societal and cultural experiences of being from the Middle mm-hmm. East and how have you experienced this? I mean it's tricky like I mentioned like there's always like people will come with their own baggage and have their own expectations like once they know who you are what your background is or just where you're planning to shoot your film or whatever and so I think you have it's a it's it's a Definitely you're walking a tightrope always because it's like for me, for example, I always feel like I'm talking to two audiences with anything that I make because I know like, you know, there's a Western audience that has certain expectations and certain preconceptions about our part of the world. And then there's also like an Arab audience on the other end that also has their own expectations. And, you know, sometimes there's this like knee jerk reaction of like, don't, air our dirty laundry and so then you're also like sometimes Mm. too scared of like showing like of of writing something where you know an Arab character does something that's like quote unquote wrong but then you know that's also Mm -hmm. dangerous because then you're writing you know one-dimensional characters and so like 
how do you walk that tightrope? And it's like, there mm -hmm. isn't a clear answer. You just have to constantly be thinking about it. And, um, you know, it's always in the back of your mind, but then also like, don't, don't let that take over everything because then sometimes it also can stifle creativity because you're trying so hard to do the right thing that you're just not taking any risks whatsoever. And then it just falls flat and then like, and check boxy, like you're just trying to, you know, represent for the sake of representation, which just also like, you know, that comes off really, um, it's just not interesting. <laughs> it's, Right, it's yeah. not authentic and and I don't think it does what art is supposed to do yeah I don't know I mean it's tricky it feels like definitely there's like more responsibility that you're taking on um sometimes it does sometimes feel like a burden but also I think I've like moved away from that a little bit because I think when I first started um film school I was like oh my god I have to write something important I have to represent I have to correct all these years and decades of misrepresentation and that's just like kind of first of all it's an unrealistic thing to do and second of all I think having that expectation sort of puts filmmakers on so, some sort of pedestal where like as if we're somehow like morally superior than other people or no more you know which mm. we don't we're just also people ultimately like no we're just like telling stories based on what we know or are interested in and you know all you can do is try to be sensitive to the sensitivities that already exist and and tell your story like tell us tell a story that you find interesting and it's gonna inherently be um i mean I, you, know, you know they say the personal is political and it's a very cliche thing mm -hmm. to say but it's it's true it's like if you just tell a story that is reflective of your like what interests you then there's gonna be something to it that reflects your identity that reflects um you know who you are in the world and that's enough you don't need to like intend to save the world with every piece of art that you make because it's just like it's an impossible right. task and also it's you're digging yourself into a hole but i think that's like our first in instinct because we also like want to do something good we want to change the world and i think I mean, that's a good thing to want to do, but then we get impatient with ourselves and like want to like, we want to save the world now. <laughs> As a single person who is making a single <laughs> short film, I want to save the world. Like that is a crazy thing, especially with minorities and stuff. Like there's been so many, like you just want to undo all this stuff because it's, it's, it also affects your daily life, you know? By existing and doing the thing, you're already doing that and you don't need to do any more overcompensating or it's also unfair for for every like minority to be taking on that burden with everything that they do and i think that that's such uh, an important part of representation and like i was listening to or i was watching a ted talk with um and i will link it in the show notes i forget her name but it's a the woman who started the mina coalition mm -hmm. she was saying there's this line like invisible or tokenized yeah, yeah and either i'm not represented or i'm tokenized into roles like the military mm -hmm. and terrorists and refugee yeah. and it's it's like saying and she said this things which i thought was so as if every white man was a neo-nazi or a uh, a mass shooter what if that was how every 
every white man was represented like it's so important to realize that that's what's ha what is happening and what has historically yeah. happened and representation is so much more than just like what you see but it's like how those stories are told and who is telling those stories and uh, in what form you know it doesn't have to be about anything that has to do with that conversation yeah youth is such a beautiful example of that because it's about a young woman you know experiencing something and then going home and dealing with yeah. it. yeah yeah and i think that's what i try to embrace this whole idea of like yeah it's like a person that just happens to be of this background but they're still primarily just a person going through this thing and the the frustrating thing about there being this sort of expectation or like preconceived notion of like what someone from like the middle eastern north africa is supposed to be like is that it like this expectation actually like like creates this sort of sort of endless cycle of production of that same thing because then like mm -hmm. what happens is that like a lot of arab filmmakers look at like what films for example end up getting funding or end up screening at film festivals and they're like oh yeah like festival films are basically all like refugees refugee films or war films or basically what we need to do is exploit our pain in order to get into a film festival or get funding and so it becomes this like endless cycle of like okay well this is the type of film that gets made so i'm gonna make this type of film and then it's gonna screen and it's just we're never gonna break the cycle and it's like i mean right. because again a lot of the money for funding also comes from um european countries and so mm -hmm. and sometimes some of these grants will be like oh um you know the film has to be a social issue film like it needs to check one of these boxes like women's rights or uh the refugee mm -hmm. crisis or whatever and so it's already like you're being like boxed into the these things because you know because of all these factors and so it's frustrating because then we self-tokenize and it's just and then because like it keeps happening it also affects like our sense of imagination in a sense because like growing up i also couldn't imagine like the type of th films that i'm like you know getting to write now or work on or whatever because they just didn't exist and so it actually takes a long time to i couldn't even imagine a film before that wasn't about like a white american man like it took me a while to even start writing female characters just yeah. strange yeah. but like but it's i think it's just like what you spend your whole life absorbing it really affects like what you can imagine and what you th what you deem is interesting to other people and exactly. then also kind of to yourself because yeah. there is this quote and i'm not sure who said it but it uh, art might be reflecting the world but the world is actually being more informed by art than we uh -huh, know a hundred percent yeah mm -hmm. yeah and i think people sometimes minimize that but it's, it literally is creating culture you know yeah 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 i mean i think of like when i was younger and like i used to watch all these like american teen movies and i actually remember when i was I mean, I love Mean Girls, and this was definitely a mean, like a misreading of it when I was younger. But we were like, "Oh my God, a burn book! We should make a burn book!" <laughs> and that became like something that we did when I was in like seventh grade. And it was definitely a terrible takeaway from that movie because that's definitely not what it's <laughs> about, uh, and not encouraging that type of behavior. But like, that's sort of the impact of it. You know, you you see something and you internalize it in some sort of way and it mm -hmm. you know it informs people's actions 
I mean, yeah, but it, that's a, like a really good example of just like behavior, um, you know, that how we mi start mirroring behavior. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what we start to see as truths as well, you know, like yeah. when I think of all the people who sort of, you know, tokenize Arabs and stuff, it's like, why are they doing that? Because they haven't seen anything else, you know? It's like, I might be the first, uh, you know, Muslim Arab or whatever that they've seen that doesn't fall into that box they have for me and they're just like why aren't you in that box like what's wrong with you <laughs> and right, right yeah so we just need to find ways to break the cycle and I think I, I've mm -hmm. I'm really happy that throughout the last few projects I've gotten to um instead of like depending on grants and things like that we ended up crowdfunding for these projects like I honestly like hope that it becomes more of a thing especially with Arab filmmakers and like especially in Arab countries and stuff because it's not as much part of a cult. It's also not in our culture to be like asking strangers for money, but um, I think like that gives you like a different kind of independence where first of all, you don't have to like, you know, check any boxes for anyone in order to have access to money. Mm -hmm. And also you're talking directly with your audience, you know, you're, if they're, if they give you money, then they're interested in the story that you have to tell or what you have to say and that i think already is helpful when you're making your work yeah. i mean again like whether we like it or not i think we do depend on a lot of validation because ultimately it's it's a mm -hmm. thing that you make for an audience so you know yeah. sometimes we depend on it too much and you need to learn to trust yourself but i think it's a built-in part of what we do a little bit it's very hard to shut off the the brain in in like in the sense of like what people think of you and what people like of your work and that that is just a human thing but i think that that's also such an interesting part of being a filmmaker and being a director is that it's not just the, it's such an interesting delicate balance between uh creativity and then also like real business and it's high stakes high money in a short amount of time mm -hmm. it takes a lot of skill to like navigate yeah. that i want to touch real quick on if you can give us a little spoiler or something on your new project because you are writing a musical yeah um so we were supposed to actually shoot in like the spring of 2020 but obviously we couldn't do that so hopefully we're shooting uh i think spring of 2021 now but basically it mm -hmm. is a short musical about a couple who on the night that they elope together um things sort of begin to go to shit. <laughs> uh, How did you come up with this idea to do to do a musical uh, short? I mean, it's sort of, I mean, I always loved musicals. I loved them growing up. Like Grease was one of my favorite films growing up. And I oh. always, like, I love them for obviously like their entertainment value and like, they're just great to watch. But then I always like watching them, especially as an adult, I'm like, there's some really weird, disturbing, thing about most because they're mostly like romantic stories and they they sort of there's always some sort of like grand romance at the center of it and it's it's very different from real life relationships <laughs> and mm -hmm. growing up I'm like huh interesting um this is not what I was promised in those movies <laughs> uh, but then also I think like it's it's I really wanted to make a musical that actually um tackles relationships but in a way that doesn't sort of gloss over like the complexities of 
what relationships actually are and I think a lot of those musicals do. Mm -hmm. I'm so looking forward to, to, to seeing it. I definitely have preconceived notions on relationships a hundred percent because I love Greece yeah. slash so many other great musicals and yeah. movies that just do not have realistic you know that you meet a boy and then you travel to another city and then you run into the same boy at the bistro we're gonna end with a rapid fire okay. <laughs> what do you think is a movie that the world needs to see hmm. oh this is really tough um there's so much pressure on that tick 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 well i because i was thinking of i lost my body so i'm just gonna say i lost my body a book you recommend a book um i really like this book called um the idiot <laughs> that i read like a few years ago actually but but it's by this like turkish american um writer and it's written in this like stream of consciousness way that i really love and i think is mm -hmm. super relatable i don't know i just got lost in it when i read it there's also this is a whole other different category of book for sure but this book called free play is a book that I read. It's about like improvisation in general. And it's a book that mm -hmm. I, I got assigned this book, I think in, in college, like ages ago by my acting teacher. And every time I feel creatively stuck, I read it and it sort of just frees my mind a little bit. Ah, I like that. Interesting. Okay. Free play. It's the guy who writes it is like a violinist or something, but he talks about creativity in general and improvisation and how important it is for creating music that you recommend hmm i i'm like the type of person who will like like a song and listen to it non-stop for the next 10 years like i i'm the I exact don't listen same to way. new music <laughs> like i rarely ever listen to new music um so i've been like just honestly replaying amy winehouse <laughs> like yes. I just she's amazing um I think my go-to like things that I will keep replaying are either Amy Winehouse or uh, Frank Ocean I mean those are two such great options to put next to each other thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for being here you're the best I really you. really enjoyed this you're the best <laughs> we're, we can't wait to to see your new short musical and um, I'm going to link all the links to your work in the show notes. Cool. Thank you for having me. And uh, feel free to reach out to me, audience. <laughs> She's found on the gram. Yes, I am. My name Among other places. And she has a, you, have, you have a great website, too. Oh, thank you. I feel like I should probably update it. But thank you. <laughs> no. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a minute to hit that subscribe button and leave a review. It helps the potty more than I can say. Farida's Film Youth is a staff pick on Vimeo, where you can check out the rest of her work as well. It's all linked in the show notes, of course. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Stay tuned for updates and other sneak peeks on the podcast's Instagram, at Podcast. Stay safe and stay healthy. Bye-bye.